When you think about like the crane, the construction machine, back in the day, there might have been people being just like, wait, a big, strong person should be able to lift this heavy rock. And now this machine can do it. It's kind of similar, but with, you know, information and stuff. A human could probably write some of these, but then there's some things where you're just like, oh, the machine is doing it. Oh, the machine is doing it better. We could use these tools to do cool things that we wouldn't normally do on our own. That is the form of embracing that I am taking. Cockroach DB is the only bug you'll ever love because it's the only one you don't have to worry about. As a low-touch SQL database that automatically handles scale, operations, and uptime, CockroachDB lets you focus on developing. Get your free cluster and a free t-shirt at cockroachlabs.com slash stackoverflow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, and I am joined today by some wonderful co-hosts, Paul and Cassidy. Hello, Hello you two. Ben! Cassidy. Oh my God. For people who don't know, um, just quickly say, hi, this is who I am and this is where I work. Cause maybe they don't know. Maybe they're not longtime listeners, super fans of the oh cast. I got so excited for some new listeners. Welcome. Welcome. Not, not that we don't also love the old listeners, but they're not old. No, just they're the experienced. experienced. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Paul, keep digging. Paul. Keep digging. I, why yeah. am I even trying? It's a disaster. <laughs> Cassidy, tell them who you are. I am currently, actually, I just got promoted recently. So I'm, I'm used to saying my Ba-ba! old title. Now I'm Director of Developer Experience at Netlify. Oh, a DD. You're a DDE. DDE. Yeah, DDX Experience. Oh, DDX. Yeah. Uh, Watch out. Gotta do that. Gotta do that. What does a DDX do? Uh, so. A lot of my job hasn't changed a lot, except that people report to me now. So that's 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 pr- pretty much it. But uh, I'm focusing on the developer ecosystem at Netlify, and so mostly working with open source developers and building demos and blog posts and content, and helping others do the same to make it easier to build, not just on Netlify, but but on these web technologies in general. I'm just ima- I'm, oh. I'm guessing you're a very screamy boss. Yeah, just, I'm you know, super people get in here. strict. People fear me. <laughs> Throw the mug across the room, break it on the wall, just, you know, to make yeah. a to make Gotta show Look at this boss. feedback form. Yeah. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking yeah. from your throat. Like, yeah. God, I bring out the mom voice, which is like, listen to me. That's how I, ass- how I assume most moms speak. I don't know. Oh, no. It's actually, you know, I've got two kids, and there are times when you start to talk from your throat, like, get down here. Yeah. And it, it's it's terrible. You're like, I, I promised myself I would never talk with my teeth clenched Ooh. to my children. But no, no. it does happen. <laughs> who are you, Paul? Paul, who are you? I, I'm the co-founder of a, a software and consulting firm called Postlight. And I am, I recently did a career transition. I got promoted in the other direction. Um, we named a new CEO, Gina oh. Trapani. I am the ex-CEO. I'm, I'm back to being co-founder. And I'm working on ways to grow the company, mostly around climate and uh, climate-related work. We actually have a lot of climate work in the firm. And I want to see if I can build that into more of a discipline. So that's what I do all day. That's awesome. And Gina's amazing, too. I'm a fan. Paul, you did the you did the CEO step back. 
So now you're working, this is the classic Bezos. I'm stepping back, I'm gonna work on climate change and I'm going to space. That's what you do, right, when you move Well, back. nothing nothing is better for the climate than rockets shooting into <laughs> space. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. The firm is is growing and stable and so it's a good, t- I like chaos and mess mm. and working with my my co-founder who also likes chaos and mess and we're, we're all out of chaos and mess. We're now like stable and growing and doing well. People should definitely apply. And so I'm off to, you know, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to go find some, mm-hmm. going to go find some mess. Come to my house. You'll find plenty. So uh, <laughs> can help yeah. you remodel. That's exactly right. <laughs> I love mess. So I have two things I wanted to chat this week to kick it off. I wanted to talk a little bit about GitHub's co-pilot. So I remember when um, GP3 came out, I made the joke, like we're getting really close I, I still, you know, consider myself to be a very beginner and uh, frustrated developer. So I just say, I, I would just talk to the machine. Hey, could you make me a website? I want a button over here. No, a little to the left. People fill out the form. It goes into the database. And, you know, there were some great examples that people were doing where they sort of just told it, hey, I, I, could you make me something like this? You know, give it a vague idea. And now with Copilot, basically, yeah, you say like, I'd like a function that does X. And the machine learning system that has been trained on millions and millions and millions of lines of code says, yeah, it could probably look like this. It writes it out for you. And then I guess you can either use that directly or you can edit it a little bit. High level, what do we think about this? And then we can dive into some of the sort of things people have found in the week since it came out. So I've been playing with it and and did a whole uh, stream on it recently. And, and I do like that like, let's just say I'm building a counter component where you click a button and a number goes up and down and stuff. If I do function counter, it will write the entire component for me and I don't have to deal with anything. Little things like that are really, really nice because it's boilerplate code. And and so I'm able to write a function that adds two numbers and it'll write the function. And it was kind of fun to experiment. I can I can share a gist in the show notes of all the different comments that I would write and then the, the resulting functions that came from it. That being said, if you start doing anything more complex than that, that's when it, you start to say, okay, you need to calm down, Copilot. Yeah. Like, it, it's not going to take our jobs anytime soon. I mean, I start, I right. started looking at it. I haven't used it yet, but I, I'm watching, watching how people are reacting, seeing some of the videos of it. And I'm like, this is just because GitHub was never able to crack the search for code problem. Like, searching GitHub for mm. any specific anything is actually kind of hard if you're looking for exemplary code. You can usually find something, but it's not like it's not one to one. It's it's hard across languages and so on. And so it feels like they cracked that, which is just like I'm going to give you something that looks roughly like the thing you're talking about. Like they they got a way for people to put the parameters in that they need in order to retrieve some code samples, but it's either really early days or kind of a nice idea that may or may not go somewhere. But what, where does it fall off, Cassidy? Like, where does it start to break? You have some examples of things you asked it to do, and it just what it returned either didn't work or was leading you in the wrong direction. I mean, is it like kind of close? It's like half baked, and you could get it the rest of the way. I think it's actually very aptly named Copilot because you are supposed mm-hmm. to be the pilot. And, and you're supposed to write most of the code and then it might suggest other things, kind of like with the whole Gmail auto-suggestion thing. You're supposed right, to be right. writing the email and it might suggest a few words after that. I think that's mostly what it's supposed to be. And it, it starts to fall apart if it's not entirely sure what you're doing. And so I don't know if any of you know the <laughs> meme like haha business. I decided to make a function called haha business and I just wanted to see what would happen. And so it made a variable haha, then it made a variable business. 
then another variable, <laughs> haha, then another variable business. And it went on. I just kept hitting enter because I wanted to see how long <laughs> it would go. It went on for like right. 50 lines before I gave up. So right, there are little yeah. things where, where it just doesn't know what you're trying right. to do. But if and you, it doesn't, does it have like holistic awareness? You're saying like, understand what you're trying to do. Like obviously, right. Add a counter, add a clock, add your numbers, but it doesn't have a sense of like what the greater scheme of things is like what it all right. together is supposed to be, or does it try to suss it that out? It does try to suss that out. So like there, there were a couple things where, for example, I wrote a thing where it was just like returns true if a string start or if a string starts with three letters and then returns mm. true if a string ends with three numbers. And then I did like one that validates both and it did combine the two functions. And so sure. it, it was pretty aware within the file, which was interesting. Right. It's really cool. Like I bet stuff like I want to download a web page, right? Like I bet it's pretty helpful there. Yeah. No, no. Oh boy. Maybe. Well, like, I'm going to speak from, I know maybe this is a, you know, a silly thing to say. So if it's a bad question, we can reframe it. But like, is this in some ways kind of like Paul was talking with like NPM install and what Cassie was talking about, like add a counter. It's like, there are simple things you can just pull off the shelf. They're not complex. They're like, what, you know, little things that you don't need to remember that it's great for plug and play kind of the way NPM is now copilot can do that for little functions and various. It's things. really good for utility functions like that. Yeah. Right. When you, when you just want to get a, a simple thing, the probably my favorite part about it was that it could do regex for me. And so for example, right. I was able to write a comment that said a function that validates if a string starts with three letters, then has three numbers, then has three letters again. And it wrote the regex right. for me. And so little right. things like that, where I don't have to like check it against my own thing. It's that that's, right. that's pretty nice. Because that's the thing, right? Like regex are great and you, nobody has memorized them. Like there's something you, you're always going to be Googling and going to Stack Overflow. Right. Cause you write it once and then you never touch it again. Yeah. So for things like that, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess just, just to clarify, so like, I'm going to talk a little bit about where you get into like some of the areas where it goes off the rails. And this is what was reminding me of NPM with NPM. You're it's just grabbing a package and that package right. has some capabilities that then you can like utilize in what you're writing. Is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. And so with NPM, I know Paul and Sarah and I had discussed this, like sometimes people were putting malicious things in there or the things in there didn't belong there, weren't properly licensed. And that was some of what I was seeing with this. It was funny. It was like, if you just sit, sort of ask it to do anything, it'll just put like the GNU like open license because it's seen that a bajillion times, right? Like, so then the question was, well, should it be taking this open source code and giving it to people who might be writing proprietary things? Do you have, do people have thoughts on that? Or it's kind of like, yeah. So depends on how you use it. For like writing a little utility function, like again, a function that adds two numbers or something, that's not going to be under any particular license. That type of function right. has been written probably millions of times by developers. And I think that's, right. that's again, where you should be using it. What was interesting as I was playing with certain things, like I tried to make a Go function. I don't know Go, but I was just like, now I can pretend I do just to, just <laughs> right. to see what me, I can Look at me, mom, I'm a Go developer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting because occasionally a comment would come up that credits some original author somewhere. And mm. it would occasionally be like, copyright, Jake something. And and I wouldn't know who this <laughs> right. person is. And, and you'd look them up and they're not even like that active of a GitHub user or anything like that. But that's right. just how it was. And so it was interesting to mm. see it occasionally credit people. But right. again, I don't think that's the direction that you want to take it in. You want to take it in the yeah. direction of, I want to write a very simple utility function that just does this right. one thing so that when I write my nice big component library or, or architect my whole system, 
I can do that because I don't have to write the little basic utilities I have to do over and over. Right, right. I mean, it's still in this very nascent state, right? And they'll, they'll, like, look, when General Electric works with open source code and the lawyers who review the licensing on everything in order to limit their liability, are they going to have an opinion about Copilot? Like, sure. That's going to be something that, <laughs> yeah. you know, lawyers got to get paid. You know, they're going to sit in that room and they're going to be like, well, now. Right. But, it, you know, Stack is actually a good example of, of how this ends up working, where it's like you clarify the licensing and people cut and paste it anyway. And then you just kind of go forward with your lives. I mean, I like the idea that maybe it, if it was smart enough, it could pull it in and say, like, if you're going to use this code, you're going to need some attribution. Like you got to name and thank the person. Or if you're going to use this code, just so you're aware, there's a license and you might have to pay for it if you do commercial use. Like if it could authentically tell you like what your rights and you know or you know the way to the way to use it that would be kind github of cool. knows all the licenses of all the code right like they've put those like right. they have the drop down for what license things are under so you know sort of same as creative commons and 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 so licensing actually is kind of clear i think there's this moment where this happened with creative commons when people started to see their photographs used in advertisements that they had given away because they'd given them away with the intent mm. of contributing to the commons and things being really positive and right. you can use this as the cover for your weird indie album of, that you did in your bedroom with a synth <laughs> and then suddenly it's on the side of a bus and and they go like whoa wait a minute that that would i would have gotten thousands right. of dollars for that normally and it right it doesn't right. excuse me large multinational automobile manufacturer that is not no that's yeah. right that's right and then it's like well actually according to the rules and then typically what will happen is like the automobile manufacturer will give a you know, some some sort of honorarium. And the problem no longer is on Twitter all the time. And so it's just right. like, right. we're now in that zone with code as opposed to other artifacts. The only thing with code is we've got licensing kind of worked out for how, what people can do with code under certain licenses. Like that is really well understood. Right. We'll fall back into that world. And, and I, I don't, I just kind of doubt that the great licensing uproar over Copilot will have these huge legs in our industry because our industry tends to go mm -hmm. like, meh, okay, after a certain amount of time. Yeah. I just want to emphasize, it's a lot like the Gmail autocomplete. Nobody's complaining right. at Gmail about how it finished its sentence of, how are you today? Or something like that. <laughs> if you use right. it in your code like that, there, it's, there's nothing to attribute because it's just it's just auto-completing right. what you're Although writing. I do have a lot of, I, I hold a lot of anxiety about like the ones where you respond. You're like, awesome, looks great, exclamation point or whatever. And like, I'm like, to what degree do people know that like I just auto-completed or like I get some, sometimes where like you didn't write a that single word. That like, didn't sound this is like, like Ben. Two, this is three auto-completes in a row. He never uses exclamation points. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> sometimes I, I feel a little stressed out about sending and receiving emails that like were basically only were entirely written by Gmail. That kind of, I, that gives me Oh, it's okay. Because it's better than not replying. Like it's just sort of like, oh, you know, I actually <laughs> don't mind a, a two-word reply. I mean, it would be, yeah. you know, I think the fear is that to stretch that that metaphor, it would be like the reply would be, "It's okay, I love you," or like, um, "It's me, <laughs> right. Cassidy," and like someone would click that. Like I would Hurrah. click that button, right? Like just you get a personal email and then you get a drop down. You're like, respond sentimentally, humorously. Yeah, you know, and you notice Google pithily, and then you just pick one and it goes. It, it really goes goes all out. It writes a you know. A couple paragraphs of response. For Google, you. obviously, because there has not been a huge uproar in social media about it, has figured out how to intelligently filter and moderate the output of that model, right? Because it doesn't say I hate you and it doesn't it doesn't say weird yeah. swears or racist things. So they, they obviously did the work, which is is wild because I thought moderation at scale was impossible, but they obviously did the work. Right. 
to filter those replies so that they wouldn't create a lot of drama. Because the only time I see the screenshots are when it's just kind of nonsense, never something. It's rarely totally inappropriate. Copilot's pretty good at that, too. I actually, I was nervous for that. And so I tested it and I wanted to be just like, okay, here's a comment that says, a function that returns true if women should be allowed to code. And it just stopped suggesting anything and i was like okay and so i was like a function that returns a gender drop down and it didn't suggest anything so i was very happy to see stuff like that where some guardrails yeah they they stopped it they didn't want to be the racist microsoft chat bot everybody's tired or or just facebook everybody's tired of that bad tum-tum feeling when everybody on social media is like boy you screwed it up again right like i mean this is part of the job so i think i'm not surprised that the work probably went in there. And, I, you know, I'm sure they'll find edge yeah. cases will appear with a, something at that scale. Okay. So my favorite edge case, explain to me how this happened and whether or not we should really be worried about it. The person writes something and then they're sort of like API key. They're like, it's like the prompt is like, what's the private API key? And it just starts filling them in. Oh, yeah. Because I guess it's seen them before somewhere. So explain to me what's happening there. And is that actually problematic? Yeah. Or is it just like kind of like, haha, look, I goofed the machine? No, no, it's genuinely bad. People put their private keys and info on GitHub all the time. It's really, really easy to because you, you either put it right in the code or you have an environment file and you upload the one that's supposed to be local to your machine instead of the template. And then it's really relatively easy to search for those things. So, but that's a problem. The, the original user made a mistake and publicly exposed something that shouldn't yeah. be. It's not like GitHub is reading private code and then sharing it. Right. Their, no, no, it's, no, no, it's no, someone their, who It's someone who goofed up. Okay. There's, I mean, if you want any copyrighted font in the world, not that I ever have, but I've read about this on <laughs> news groups. Well, you're a, you're a monster when it comes to fonts. <laughs> it's on GitHub. Just search. You would do anything. Just search on GitHub. People have uploaded <laughs> yeah. all the private assets, all the copyrighted stuff you could ever want in the world, Yeah. as well as their private keys, their AWS keys, passwords. And, right, you know, okay. I see what's GPT is, is grabbing some of that stuff or, the, the, or GitHub is grabbing that stuff as it filters. And, of course, it's filling in the blanks. But it, it also like malevolent actors are also going through all of that code and, and digging that stuff up. So it, the fact that you can see it means that everybody's seen it. I will say, I guess, like the, the jump between GPT 1, 2 and 3 and like what it, like the fact that people kind of came up with this application and then they sort of, you know, productized it or whatever. I don't know how soon GPT-4 is on the horizon, but it makes me a little bit nervous. I know what you said is totally right, Cassidy, that for now it's like, it'll do the basic utilitarian building blocks. It's, can't get it, but like, that's what, like, give it, give it one more, two more cycles of refresh, you know, and it's, we're, I don't know. Just embrace it. I just it's, see it as like yeah. a really smart search engine that is able to reconstitute information at its best based on, you know, kind mm-hmm. of muddy inputs. And so like, if it tells a really good bedtime story, it doesn't know it's doing that. That's not that's not what it is. No, I understand, but that's that's the thing. Like right now, it's doing exactly what you're saying. It's just reconstituting or regurgitating some basics well, and it can't even regurgitate the advanced stuff well. Yeah. But that was the thing with like AlphaGo. Like give it one or two more, and it's going to come up with a novel solution. And that's when it's like a little bit like you know you sort of have to step back. Like oh, nobody's written it this way, and this is actually better than the way we've written it. And maybe that's a good thing. And then. You know, you go on to have new techniques, but it's also a little bit frightening. It's kind of like the metaphor that we talked about in the AlphaGo episode, which you can go back in the archives and find. <laughs> um, yeah, shout out to past episodes. Yeah. Let's dig in the archives a little here. But when you think about like the crane, the construction machine, back yeah. in the day, there might have been people being just like, wait, a big, strong person should be able to lift this heavy rock. And now this machine can do it. It's kind of sure. similar, but with you know, information and stuff. 
a human could probably write some of these, but then there's some things where you're just like, oh, the machine is doing it. Oh, the machine is doing it better. We could use these tools to do cool things that we wouldn't normally do on our own. And so that that is the form of embracing that I am taking. I mean, you know, a good, a good thing here to, to look at is like Totoro, Studio Ghibli films, absolutely beautiful. You know what else? Toy Story is amazing. Like I, I like Toy Story and it's the little, the yeah. little robots are all in 3D. No one hand sketched those. Like they are someone, the computer did all the work of drawing the pictures after people said, here's the kind of picture I want you to draw. And right. like, we're cool with it. We know the difference. Yeah, it won't lead to any disastrous results like Space Jam 2. I mean, what, yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, we still live in a, in a, you know, garbage world made by garbage people is still going to be out there, right? Like, you're not going to, deep fakes are going to happen and people are going to create spam site. They're going to create spam accounts using GPT-4 on Facebook that say that, you know, they'll combine all the Q memes into one mega Q meme. And, and people who are vulnerable will go like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I like Cassidy's optimistic take, which is kind of like, you know, that that famous, I think it was, it was Thomas Malthus. Somebody was like, well, if the population keeps growing, we're obviously going to run out of food because we know how much food we can grow and we know how fast the population is growing. So like, we're not going to make it. And we always come up with new ways to sort of stay ahead of that cycle, you know, as a species. And so here it would, we would say like, you know, every time the computer solves the smaller basic problem, like we level up and do more higher order things and have more free time to do other stuff, which is great. I hope it, I hope it works that way. Well, no, these are tools you have to decide. It's the same thing with, you know, the bias that gets in, internalized by the models. Like you have to do the work. You can't escape that, but they're right. ultimately they are tools and they're, they're really good and yeah. they give us a lot of power we didn't have before. Yeah. And right, right. it's really dependent on the humans to decide where they go and what they do and, and how we want to do it. Like these machines aren't going to decide for themselves yet if if <laughs> they're going to take over the world or, or do something particularly. I'm telling evil. you, G GPT-4, they're going to be like, they're going to teach me like, these are the hundred most popular apps. Go make some apps. It'll start making apps every day. And then before you know it, it's got a hit, you know, and it's just like nobody made this app. Well, we'll see. That's, we'll see. that's true. All right, so let's take a quick detour here. I just want to shout out, um, Netlify is doing uh, a big survey about the state of the Jamstack. Yeah. Is that the name of the survey, Cassidy? Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to chat a little about what you learned last year, what you think has changed since then, and where people can sort of go and participate if they want to check this out. Yeah, and so this is kind of our Jamstack community survey. It is much, much smaller than than the state of the developer survey that Stack runs, but it's for a specific uh, set of developers. It's for Jamstack developers. And so we want to know things like your priorities for building a website. Do you care most about performance or uptime or speed of development, security, that kind of stuff? Um, what technologies do you like to use when you build in this style? How many users do you expect on a given site? That kind of thing. And so it's it's about a specific style of web development and uh, seeing the direction you might take it in. And, and we had a few thousand respondents last year, and we want to double it this year. What did you learn last year? Can you like what what were some of the surprises? Yeah, and so for the for example, the number of users that you intend to have on your websites, uh, most people the sites were intent intended for a few thousand of users, but there were a pretty good percentage, like 30% had millions of users on their Jamstack sites. The biggest priority by far for everybody was performance. And then people want to avoid vendor lock-in. They want to have good uptime. And then uh, security was pretty high up there too, in terms of priorities. And then they we had like a 
fun little word cloud of like your favorite thing about the Jamstack. And that was a free form one where people could fill things in. And then the, the biggest words in there were speed, things being fast, simplicity, easy, and then uh, security as well. And so it's it's interesting to see some of these. What do you think the biggest change has been in the last year? What do you think people are going to say? We've seen a lot of growth in the category this year, like yeah. not just in the users and stuff on Netlify or, or on other platforms, but just the number of companies that are building tools for Jamstack style development. Yeah, no, it's, it is locked in. I mean, it's part of professional services. It's part of consulting. It's part of how big companies, you know, big software companies build Jamstack sites to promote their own stuff. Right. I've seen so many startups too. I, I do some startup advising and, and stuff and, and so many startups I've seen have started with like a more traditional model where they have to spin up a container and everything to get their site up. And then they switch and they're like, wait, why haven't I been doing this? Because that whole simplicity element is very huge. And especially with all the tools these days, it's interesting to see the shift of people being like, it was complicated because it had to be, but it's nice that it doesn't anymore. And, and I like hearing about that kind of stuff. All right. Awarded six hours ago to Andomar, our Lifeboat Badge winner of the week, someone who found a question with a score of negative three or less, gave it an answer that got a score of 20 or more, and now that question has a score of three or more. Will multiple calls to now in a single Postgres query always give the same result? Hmm mystery. Mm. You can learn the answer in the show notes. I'm actually interested in that. I'm guessing in a transaction they will, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can always email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, leave a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Cassidy. I'm director of developer experience at Netlify. If you'd like to take the Jamstack community survey, you can go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash Jamstack. We will also link it in the show notes. And you can tweet me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O. And I'm Paul Ford. If you, you should take that survey. I'm going to take that survey. What was it? Surveymonkey slash r slash Jamstack? Is that right? That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. That's, I just, that's now inscribed in my memory for the rest of my life. Wow. Check out my company where I am a co-founder, postlight.com. We are a growing services firm and, and strategy firm. I'm on Twitter at F-Train. And get in touch. <laughs>